I'm trying to figure out how to spark these movements. I want to motivate people to give a shit. If you want to change culture, you have to build the infrastructure to allow that people that would never consider these things as options all of a sudden wake up and we're like, that's better than what I have. I want that. This is Michael Schneider. Would you be a bike activist? I am a bike activist. I'm more of a, uh, a humanist when it comes to our options for transportation, not just about bikes. Uh, my day job is I am a tech entrepreneur. I founded a number of startups here in Los Angeles. A number of startups. Wow. Anyone can start a startup. It's hard to scale them, but I try. Okay. Have you scaled startups? I have scaled startups. I've done a variety of things starting from high school till now uh, in different parts of the internet wherever I've seen a an opportunity, starting with the first dot-com bubble back in 99. Wow. You don't look that old. I'm going to be 39 this year. Good for you. You'd keep biking, that's why. Yeah, I've heard the sun makes you look younger, so. Is that right? Yeah. Then we're all doing well. You broke your toe. I did. I broke my toe yesterday. And you got a boot. Yes. And you're still riding. Yeah, you know, I was going to come over here, over the hill, and uh, I just really hate cars. I don't enjoy being in the backseat of cars, and I, I don't even enjoy driving anymore, so... I thought I'd try a jump e-bike, which is not my normal ride, but I have to say it was pretty amazing. That extra motor, it just helps. And I got over the hill in about 25 minutes. My boot worked fine on it. It was less painful than walking, for sure. I took about over the hill up Nichols Canyon, which is peaceful and beautiful and almost car-free. From Hollywood to Studio City? Yes. Did you see any animals? I didn't. Saw a few people. So you can ride a bike with a broken toe. You can't walk, like far. Yeah, walking walking hurts. I actually, it, this happened to me yesterday morning. I broke my toe. I stubbed it on our bed, which is made of wood and hard edges. And I had to take my daughter to preschool. And I always take her on the bike. So I foolishly didn't realize it was broken, put on a pair of sandals, and drove her and her little sister in a trailer just about eight blocks to the preschool. And I thought everything was fine while I was riding because it didn't really hurt. But the second I stopped and put my shoe down on the ground, there was very sharp piercing pain. And and then I actually rode my bike to urgent care, which the doctor was very confused. And, you know, in hindsight, it probably wasn't the best move. But it's okay if you have the boot. With the boot, it keeps your toes straight. And so as long as you're not going with funny angles, if you're biking, you're just flat on a pedal. It's fine. It, it actually doesn't hurt at all while you're biking. Also on the jump bike, you don't have to push down with a lot of force. Yeah. That motor makes a huge difference. It's really amazing. If you ever break your toe and you still want a bike, I would highly encourage an e-bike. And that means a jump bike or a metro e-bike. I've ridden the metro e-bike. I have not ridden the jump e-bike. Have you ridden a metro e-bike? I haven't. I wonder how they compare. Uh, my understanding is the metro one has a throttle. So you kind of control the electronic portion more. Hmm. Whereas the jump is just pedal assist. It's kind of dummy proof. You just go and it just kicks in when it needs to. Mm. But both are great. I mean, I I used to be a purist and think uh, e-bikes weren't real, real bikes and all that stuff. And now I just mm-hmm. think I've gone 180 and think they're mm-hmm. fantastic and will bring a whole bunch of other people that wouldn't normally bike into the fold. I mean, I understand both points of view, but I, I can't accept the purest point of view because it just leaves out a lot of people. It's sort of like vehicular cycling, you know, like everybody should ride in the middle of the street. Everybody should should use their own power to get up every hill or terrain. It just depends what you're going for. If we want to be a society where 0.1% of people dare to get on a bike, then go with the vehicular cycling movement and don't build any bike infrastructure. But if you actually want to have a shot at getting 10, 20, 30% of people out of their car 
and into scooters and bikes and trains and just more multimodal approach. You got to make it safer and more accessible. When I first heard from you, you were doing something with Mid-City West, the neighborhood council? So it's called Mid-City West Community Council. We represent from Beverly Hills to La Brea and then from West Hollywood to the north and San Vicente to the south. I am a newly elected board member uh, representing Zone 2 of Mid-City West. I will be on the Transportation Committee. We have some pretty amazing projects going on, so it's very new. The election was last month. I ran as part of a progressive slate that, among other things, uh, was a bunch of people that support multimodal transportation, and we got 33 out of 35 seats. So Whoa, that's amazing. It was a sweep. But your city council person is Koretz, who's been... It's both. It's uh, Part of it's in CD5, oh. Paul Koretz, and part of it's in CD4, David Rio. Both of whom have been criticized for sort of keeping back bike projects, right? Yeah, they have been criticized. It's interesting. I, I met with Paul Koretz because I also, he just appointed me to the Bicycle Advisory Committee to represent him. And so I met with him and I was asking him about his positions. My take is that he's actually done a lot for cycling, but he hasn't done nearly enough. He right now is plugging the Northvale Gap along the Expo bike lane, which is probably the most expensive 0.3 miles of bike lane the city's ever built. Because how, how much is that? It's into the millions. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't tell you fully. Because they didn't put it in the original plan, right? It's really unfortunate. When they built the Expo line, they did not make enough space in the tunnel for a bike lane. It was an afterthought. And so um, the tunnel is not really an option. And if you know the area in Cheviot Hills, it's complicated. Um, There's about seven houses, nine houses, don't remember the exact number, that have uh, a right-of-way in front of them that's not really accessible to the property owners that would be perfect for it. But it requires the city um, buying that property and then doing some fairly complex scaling of the hill to make it accessible to cyclists. So Mm. It's expensive. It is worthwhile because that will then fully connect the Expo bike path from essentially the ocean to downtown, which is exciting. It's so frustrating, though, that they didn't do I mean, we were talking about how they needed to do that when they put in the Expo line, right? Were you here the whole time? In Los Angeles? Yeah. I'm born and raised here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was here. you seem to have just come out of, like, nowhere. Uh, well, it, I, I'm new to this world. I'll say that. I've only been in local politics or a bike advocate for about a year. Mm-hmm. I'm still meeting everybody. I'm still learning about it. I'm not the smartest guy in the room when it comes to this stuff, which I love because I get to ask questions and try to understand the lay of the land. It's and interesting I, when somebody says that about themselves. I'm not the smartest guy in the room because then you got to watch out for that person. <laughs> I'm in much more of a listening mode than I am in uh, in a having solution mode. But I have concluded that who is in city council matters a lot. And I'm going to be working very hard. I'm already doing it with the special election CD12, but I'm going to be working very hard um, over the next few years to make sure that the city council represents the will of the people and not just uh, more conservative people that are just very good at making noise, but don't represent the majority of people in Los Angeles. CD12. Yes. Lorraine. Lorraine Lundquist. I know that she's an environmentalist and she's got a cargo bike in her on her website in her campaign material. I love that she has a picture of her biking her kids to school on her website. And, and again, I, I'm not just for cyclists. I want better cycling infrastructure, but better cycling infrastructure has to be combined with better scooter infrastructure. It's kind of the same, which also should be combined with better bus infrastructure and pedestrian infrastructure. So it's kind of all connected. I think Lorraine would be a breath of fresh air for CD12. I think that her policies on transportation would be night and day, and we need more women on city council to better represent the population. It's just a win-win. And, you know, L.A. is not usually a red versus blue kind of thing. But it's also interesting that I believe it's the last uh, Republican 
held seat in Los Angeles, that if she won, it would be all blue. Her opponent is Republican. John Lee, yeah. And he has come out uh, publicly against um, the BRT along Nordoff. Mm-hmm. He's essentially the opposite. He's kind of the same old, where you have council members that say they're envi- environmentalists, but mm-hmm. don't actually implement policies that do anything to get cars off the road. <laughs> so. Well. It's kind of a conflict. I care about the environment. I just don't want it in my backyard. Yeah, and I care about homelessness, but I don't want bridge housing you know, down the street from my house, or I care about making housing cheaper, but I don't want the single-family home next to me to become a fourplex. So it's on and on. What I think is very true about this city and about the country is that if younger people ever woke up and voted anywhere near the same uh, turnout as older Americans do, mm-hmm everything would look completely different, including our own city council. So when I talk to, I'm not that young anymore, I'm gonna be uh, 39 this year, but when I talk to uh, people in their 30s and their 20s, most of them aren't that politically aware locally. They care who's president perhaps, um, but they they don't connect them voting in local elections to changes in their day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people look at a street and say it's it's hardscape, it's concrete, it, it can't possibly change. That's the way it is. And and they, they don't make the connection. But the truth is that we can change our city. Market Street in San Francisco is a great example. Uh, Market Street used to be packed with cars. It's now only for buses, cyclists, and scooters. That's great. It's going to seem radical when I say this, but there's no reason why Wilshire Boulevard couldn't be that too, mm-hmm. other than, um, you know, we just need a, a different generation to vote, a different people with a different set of values to vote. So we just got to wait. We got to rally. Um, I'm working really hard to try to identify people in Los Angeles that share those values and then motivate them to give a shit. Can I say that on your podcast? Yeah, say okay. it again. Uh, I want to motivate people to give a shit. And I, I want them to understand that if they show up and vote with what they care about, their city can change quickly. People don't know this. It took me a while to learn this, but the mayor of Los Angeles doesn't have a lot of power. We have a weak mayor system. So who's in city council? Who represents them? It becomes sort of this, you know, king of their fiefdom that that dictates what goes and doesn't go. And it's just insane that that you have someone like a, a Gil Cedillo who, you know, is allergic to the word bike. He's uh, CD1. He's CD1. And, and therefore, projects that are good projects, um, including, I believe, my fig, just magically stop. You know, when you're walking around, the average person is not thinking about what council district they're in. I bet you most people don't even know what council district they're in or realize there's 15 council districts. But that, you know, one council member cannot hold hostage um, the entire city to a network of bus lanes, a network of mobility lanes. That that has to change. Mm-hmm. Have you heard, you know, Stephen Box? I do. He's in the Department of Neighborhood Empowerment. He was trying to get everybody to join a city council, and I signed up, but I didn't even put a picture in or anything. For my Do you mean a neighborhood council? Neighborhood or? council, sorry. Okay. Yeah, I think neighborhood council. So we just had our first meeting. It was very interesting, and there's 35 people on Mid-City West, so it's a big board. We don't. It's just so everyone understands, neighborhood councils don't have any actual power, but they have a lot of influence. A statement from the neighborhood council um, supporting or not supporting something does carry weight with the council member. So it does matter. And I love that I just ran and we basically swept with a group of great progressive leaders. A similar thing happened in Silver Lake. It wasn't a complete sweep, but it's now a progressively majority city council. Palms is very progressive. Um, Mar Vista, funny enough, due to a 0.9 mile road diet that Mike Bonin implemented, is quite conservative still. And that's holding up a bit of progress in that part of Los Angeles. That is so frustrating. 
yeah. But you've been uh, really active in the BRT, the bus rapid transit controversy, or do you want to go over that? I don't live or work in Eagle Rock, Glendale, or Burbank, but I believe that, um, I don't know if everyone's familiar with what's going on on Flower Street, but there's a temporary blue line closure, and Metro put in a temporary, they called it at the time, uh, rapid bus lane enforced by eight officers of the LAPD between the hours of 3 and 7 p.m., and they're running 70 buses per hour, more than one a minute. So you have a situation where it didn't exist before, where you have a right-of-way exclusive to buses with uh, headways being under one minute. That's great, great What's service. A headway? Uh, how long you wait for the bus to wow. arrive. So, um, And it's from where to where on Flower? It, so uh, I don't have the exact borders memorized. It's from around 7th Street and Flower to, uh, I want to say, Avalon. I could be wrong about that, but it goes about three miles. And the point is that, um, and just yesterday on the city council, uh, Mike Bonin said that he wants to study making this permanent, which is really exciting. But it's the first time in Los Angeles you have a dedicated bus lane that's enforced. That's the key thing, because Wilshire Boulevard does have a dedicated bus lane other than the parts that go through Beverly Hills, because Beverly Hills opted out. Hmm. Um, At rush hour between the hours of 3 and 7 p.m. Beverly Hills is on my list, too. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Beverly Hills. But um, so th- this has existed. It has not been this enforced and this frequent uh, with a bus uh, on average more than once a minute. So you, now, when you say enforced, you mean they keep cars out of the lane? Correct. LAPD actively ticketing people, moving people, towing people, doing whatever it takes. Great. Um, this is a different level of engagement and enforcement that we haven't seen before. And so... There's this project, as everyone, I think, listening to this might know, uh, between connecting Eagle Rock, Glendale, and Burbank. And I, I just think this process is so broken because, well, first of all, this has been talked about uh, by Alyssa Walker and, Walker and others, but the fact that Metro sent out an invitation to this only saying how to park for free, like here's where the free parking is located if you come to these meetings, when the meeting is about a dedicated Who bus lane. Who sent that? Metro. Oh. They send out a... Uh, an invitation huh. to people that wanted to come and Crazy, the man. only instructions were free parking. It wasn't go on this bus line to get there or this is the train route if there is one or or whatever. You could bring a bike in. It literally was just uh, here's where the free parking is. So Unbelievable. And that's Metro. That's Metro. Um, Who, you know, I'm doing an externship at Metro as a teacher, middle school teacher. They want people to help with the curriculum for the new school they're opening. And I'm meeting all these people and they seem so progressive and enlightened. You know, well, but that may be the bike share department. I don't know. Well, th- but here's the point. This is a about a bus rapid transit project. If you only promote this to people in a way that says drive here because here's where the free parking is, the people that go to this meeting are going to be people that may not care. They may have never used the bus in their life. And so you have a people that are giving their opinion very strongly in some cases about a project that they think doesn't apply to them that quote-unquote disturbs their area, disrupts their area, is bad for their area, et cetera. And that means that you're not really getting the opinion of people that it would actually impact in a positive way. 
And that's a problem. Yeah, and there's a lot of talk about how this group of people is really demographically out of touch with, for one thing, the average transit rider. And um, there's been a lot made of that. And there's some triggering things that they're saying, but just along the lines of like, we don't want those kind of people in our neighborhood. Yeah, so Eagle Rock, for anyone that doesn't know, there, there used to be these covenants um, in Los Angeles that were very... Uh, racially uh, racially charged. So Eagle Rock was originally promoted as a white neighborhood. I think it is, mm-hmm. probably because of that, very much still a white neighborhood. But this idea that we associate bus travel with race is, is kind of crazy. I don't know if it's unique to just California, maybe the United States, but you go to Europe, there are businessmen in suits and ties riding the bus. Well, New York right, City. On the subway. New York City, absolutely. Well, LA. The subway, the red line. I mean, if you go on the gold line or the Anything, you know, that's, I mean, I'm not saying it's only people in suits and ties, but uh, if you go during Russia, during the morning commute. I'm born and raised here. There is a stigma in Los Angeles that you only ride the bus if you're poor. Maybe the bus. And and you maybe applies less to the train, but we have to get over that. Here's the point. If you're driving, whether you're rich or poor, white or black, doesn't matter. You're driving and you're stuck in traffic and you see a bus flying by you every single minute, for mm-hmm. example, on Flower mm-hmm. Street, mm-hmm. If, if that happened in other parts of the city, I don't care how snobby you are or, or whatever, you're going to look at that and be like, holy shit, I don't want to be sitting in traffic. I, I'd rather be on that bus. Right. And so if you want to change culture, you, you have to build the infrastructure to allow the things that people that would never consider these things as options all of a sudden wake up and we're like, that's better than what I have. Mm-hmm. I want that. And I think just a lot of people that are either in Los Angeles or born and raised here have a mentality, and I I can say this because I used to be this way, that the only way to get around town is to buy a car and go around in a car. And as long as we keep uh, promoting that and not promoting other ideas that are even could be more interesting, uh, it's not going to change. Is this what the conversations are like at the Mid-City West Neighborhood Committee or Council? Um, The conversations are pretty progressive. You know, Mid-City West isn't biased necessarily from the get-go. So we do consider things on their merits, but we do believe in progressive change. And part of this is certainly needs to be a culture change. I just want want to get back to the BRT for a second. If you can connect bus rapid transit to what it's like for somebody on a bike. You get that lane, right? As a cyclist or do you? I don't know how it is on Flower Street. I can tell you on Wilshire, you do. And I have found bus drivers to be much more respectful of cyclists compared to private automobiles. Mm-hmm. So riding in a bus lane, it, it may sound funny to someone that's never heard of it. Like, why would a very small bike be in a lane with a very large bus? That just seems dangerous. But actually, well, the sad part is um, I just biked here and on an e-bike, and my average speed was 15.1 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. That is significantly faster than the average speed of buses in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Even if I wasn't on an e-bike, um, I probably averaged 12 miles per hour. That is still faster than most buses on average. Um, so you're not really in competition for the space because you're kind of not holding the bus up. Um, but it is great to have that dedicated space. And it's been pitched before. If you built a network of dedicated bus lanes overnight, you could also call them mobility lanes for scooters and cyclists to use as well. We talked about trying to contact the bus riders union. I don't know if they're still in existence, but where are they? You know, Where are the people that need to be at these meetings? I don't even know if they know about them. I, I, you know, the, the sad reality is if you're fighting to put food on the table or you're working two jobs, you don't really have that much time to attend these meetings. If you're very comfortable and therefore likely don't ride the bus as your primary mode of transportation, you have a lot of time to show up at these meetings. So mm-hmm. again, the, the process is, 
I, I think I believe in democracy, but I think that sometimes processes can be too democratic. And I think what we have in Los Angeles very often is a very vocal minority controlling policy because they show up, they speak up, and then therefore it feels like they're the majority just because they're loud. But um, it seems like an abuse or a perversion of democracy. Yeah, it does. And I'm not sure how to fix it. One, one thing they could do, I don't know if this has been considered, is they could actually go on these buses. Mm. And while they're riding, uh, a Metro employee could go on and, you know, raise your hand if you've heard of this project. Let me tell you about it in 20 seconds. Okay. Uh, how many people would be in favor of that? How, who wants to learn more? Give me your email address. Like the, there's a way to reach people beyond just sending out emails um, to you know people that may or may not be bus riders. But I don't know if they're doing that. That's interesting. I went to a meeting at the Metro board where you had a ton of these people from the Northridge BRT or the Green Line. You know, they were passionately against the the BRT, and you know, people for Sierra Club and CSUN spoke out for the BRT. And these people were homeowners. They were saying it's going to re- lower their property values and stuff. But, I've, I've yeah. never understood that argument. Um, I am a homeowner, for the record. I don't understand the argument that if I have access to better public transportation options, that my home value is going to go down. If anything, the reverse has been <laughs> said, right? Yeah. If you if you build bike infrastructure, you're linked to gentrification, which leads to higher prices. You're pushing people out. But... You know, both can't be true. Mm-hmm. Good, good transportation infrastructure can't both be bad for home values and good for home values. Mm-hmm. And I think the data's out there if they wanted to. Yeah, I, I've never seen data that says it's bad for home values. And by the way, sorry, one yeah. more thing. If you follow the long path we've taken to finally, the purple line's finally going in through Beverly Hills. But in the 60s, they were considering building a subway in Beverly Hills didn't want it. Unfortunately, when someone says it's going to lower my home values, if you read between the lines, they may be saying people that don't look like me might mm-hmm. come into my area. People that have less disposable income may be coming to my area, and I want my area to stay the way it is. And unfortunately, that, that maybe they're not racist or, or, or anything, but... Classist. They're, they're is something. A, is that a thing at all? <laughs> they, they're there, something. There was somebody who at the Eagle Rock BRT meetings was the owner of a restaurant. I think it's called... Asian Gourmet or something? Top Modesto was tweeting about this, who got up and talked about the median income of bus riders, how it's $17,000, and those people aren't going to buy a sandwich. So why are we building a bus line for them? How does it help businesses? It, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with that. Um, so someone that makes $17,000, first of all, still needs to eat. Number two, um, again, if the best thing for the city is to move the most amount of people as possible with the least greenhouse gas emissions, if that's what's best for the city, and we agree on that, mm-hmm. um, that can't be limited to two-mile stretches here and there. That has to be a network. Mm-hmm. It's the same argument. You told me I need to say bike once every 10 minutes, so I'm going to say something related <laughs> to bikes. Um, it's the same argument where people say uh, – I've, I've heard this argument – I never see people riding bikes in the bike lane. Right. So th- they're a waste of space. We should tear them out. And the analogy that I like to use is if there was a beautiful four-lane four paved highway that went for two miles and then became a dirt road with potholes, mm-hmm. how many cars would drive on it? Right. Not very many. Well, we're building bike infrastructure where it fits, where oftentimes it doesn't connect to anything. And you're just spit out into a dangerous situation potentially. And we wonder why more people don't cycle or scoot in Los Angeles. And so it has to be a network. Unfortunately, this is this can't be incremental. Just like a, a, a the metro uh, subway system cannot be, you can't just ride, put one line in Los Angeles where it fits and then wonder why more people aren't riding the train to work. Right. 
So we need a network. Yeah, to make we need a, a network of protected bike lanes too. That'd so, be good. Yeah. So this group that wasn't doing the outreach for the BRT line in Northridge, I guess it is, said how they had done their outreach. And one of the things was they put an ad on Facebook. I don't know what else they did, but that was the one that stood out to me because, you know, if I put up something on Facebook, nobody comes unless they're my face-to-face friend, you know. Nobody comes to stuff that you have no personal connection to because it's an ad on Facebook. I experienced that in my campaign. I put up an ad on Facebook. I spent about 20 bucks advertising it to people within a mile of of uh, this coffee shop I was going to be at for a few hours. Hmm. It got a lot of eyeballs. It got some likes. Um, maybe one person showed up from that ad. Mm-hmm. And so I agree with you. If you don't have a personal connection to something or you don't understand how something applies to your life and will make your day-to-day better... It's difficult to get people to show up, which is another reason why I think Metro employees should be going on to these buses that are currently going through Eagle Rock, Glendale, or Burbank, and having these like sort of mini meetings. I mean, most people don't ride the bus just for one stop. You may have five or 10 minutes with a good amount of people that um, you could get their feedback and explain the project. And the key is to get their email address so then you can follow up. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'd agree with you. And maybe if these Metro planners or whoever they are, they can't, they're not going to do it themselves. I mean, maybe they could get volunteers. So I think volunteerism in this topic is is huge. And most people that I've encountered, myself included, don't do this as their day job. I would love to do this stuff all day. I'm passionate about it, but I can't do it right now as my day job. I think there's a group of people here that would spend an hour here or two hours there. And I'm trying to find them and then mobilize them for the right causes. Uh, I'm not there yet, but if I was, if I felt I had this built out, um, I would totally suggest to Metro that they tap into that list and get some volunteers to do it. And so what what are your plans now? I'm, you've come in to, it seems like, I don't know if it's just bikes or just, I guess you said multimodal transportation, but you seem to be, it's your mission to meet everybody involved. I want to meet everybody involved. I want to figure out who is really involved or who's good at getting stuff done or who wants to be involved and help. I want to engage people that have never been involved, but that care. And I'm, I'm working on that. I want to find CEOs. I'm using my business network to find CEOs of companies that give a shit and that are willing to be an example. Um, I think I shared with you and we met. My wife's a good example. Uh, she runs a 60-person company in Culver City, and she biked to work one day. And the next day, seven of her employees, more than 10% of her workforce, biked to work. Can you imagine if we had um, CEOs all over the region biking or scooting or taking the bus to work, being an example for their employees, and we got 10% of cars off the road, what that would mean for traffic, the air quality, and everything else. So I'm trying to figure out how to spark these movements. That's a leadership idea, right, that you are the example? I think it's powerful. And just everybody on a bike is, you know, every time I see somebody who has a cool, you know, light on their bike... I'm like, I should get on my bike right, you know, and do that. It's so funny you say that. So I'm going to be doing something like that. Um, it's very grassroots and it doesn't scale well. But because my bike is my primary way to get around, I do see cyclists in different parts of the city. And my plan is to carry business cards to give them out to people, you know, chat with them for 20 seconds at a red light or whatever we have, and see if they care at all about improving infrastructure, which if you're on a bike in Los Angeles, you probably care about that. Mm-hmm. And then give them a card with my email address on it for the nonprofit I'm starting. Have them email me, add them to the list, and get them involved. That's probably the single best way to tap into people that have a vested interest to improve and have protected mobility lanes. Um, I am launching a nonprofit called Streets for All. 
Um, it will be streetsforall.org. I just set up my email today. So if anyone is that's listening to this is interested in getting involved, uh, you can just email me at michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at streetsforall.org. And that will be a nonprofit that will try to accomplish a lot of these goals that we've been talking about. Thank you, Michael. I think this was a good interview. It was fun. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 